Welcome to Noon Edition here on WFIU. The 4th of July has become just as synonymous with barbecue and cookouts as it has with fireworks. People across the country today will celebrate America's independence with cookouts and possibly eating homegrown foods. I'm Annie Corrigan, the host of WFIU's Earth Eats. This week on Noon Edition, we'll chat with a local farmer and a local food writer about how to grow and cook delicious food over the summer. Today's show is pre-recorded, so we won't be able to take your phone calls or live chat comments, but we do still hope you'll participate in today's conversation on Twitter. Tweet your comments or your own cooking and gardening suggestions. We are at Noon Edition on Twitter and follow Earth Eats at Earth Eats as well. We post cooking and farming tips 24-7 on our Twitter feed. We're joined today by Lynn Schwartzberg a food writer at the Herald Times and a certified barbecue judge through the Kansas City Barbecue Society. Cannot wait to talk about that. (laughs) And Salem Willard of Bread and Roses Gardens in Monroe County. You've probably seen him at the Bloomington Farmer's Market every Saturday morning peddling your goods. Most Saturdays. Most Saturdays. (laughs) I I sometimes have someone else stand in for me for that part. Sometimes you get to sleep in a little bit. What time do you get to the markets, just out of curiosity? Um, Well, I actually have to – I'm embarrassed to say I have only been once this year. (gasps) Um, My business partner in the nursery, Jonas Carpenter, uh, goes – and he gets there, I believe, at six six thirty every morning. Um, we're still new. This is only our second year at the market, so we have to get there early in order to get a prime spot. spot. Oh, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Well, we'll be talking about what you're pulling from the ground these sure. days and, you know, what home gardeners can do to grow their own food. But first, okay, you guys, July 4th cookouts. I'm going to a cookout tonight, and I have some things on my mind that I absolutely have to eat that must be a part of every cookout that I attend. So, Lynn, let's start with you. What are your must-haves at a cookout? At a cookout? Um, I'm an omnivore, so I like to have grilled meats, and I like to have grilled vegetables. Hopefully some corn. Is it corn season yet? It's not quite yet. It's a little early. It's a little early. When will we get corn End of August? Yeah. I freeze it from the previous winter. Uh, On the cob? You freeze it on the cob? I freeze it on the cob. Really? And then Mm -hmm. you can parboil it and grill it. Tastes like summer. That's a good tip. Okay, so Salem, what are your must-haves at a cookout? Oh, I'm always a fan of burgers or brats. That's (laughs) that's the easy out for me. You can always make me happy with those. Um, I love grilled squash, which I've got a few about ready to pick. First ones. Can't wait. So... Um, yeah, and any vegetables really make me happy, too. I always like to have a side salad, too, something fresh from the garden. We're going to talk about meat, obviously meat, at a cookout. (laughs) We're going to talk about fruit and vegetables Uh, and other things you can put on the grill that maybe you don't necessarily think of immediately. mm -hmm. So vegans and vegetarians, don't tune out. Stay with us. This is going to be a show that's interesting to you, too. So for Earth Eats, we talk about local and sustainable food, how our food gets from the ground to our kitchens. That's what we're all about at Earth Eats. Before we get to the fun eating part, we have to start with the folks who grow the food. Salem, that's why you're with us today. I feel like every conversation I have with a farmer starts with, how's the weather? (laughs) So how are things treating you this season? It's actually been a great year. I really have nothing to complain about. you know, the we were all grumbling back in uh, March when it was still freezing and outside. snowing, very cold. Yes, all the way into mid-April, really. So it was a slow start, and you know, to be honest, I still only have a few uh, flowers on my tomatoes. I just after the, after this winter, I just wanted to make sure I took my time and got things going well and at a at a good pace. Um, spring's always very busy for me. Um, you know, I'm still actually in a building phase on the farm, so I'm still putting in an infrastructure. So um, I just got my tomatoes in probably only a month ago. Um, Which is you know, really late. It's really right? late. I mean, most people consider it late, but um, I noticed that the plants last long into November, mm-hmm. um, which is, I guess, unusual. A lot of people's plants start early and end early, but I kind of go the, the slow route and the tortoise, I guess, uh, in that <laughs> sense. But... but um, but then the squash are really booming right now. The basil plants, oh, you have to have a caprese salad if you're going to have a barbecue. Something, <laughs> I agree. something okay. fresh and raw like that. So the basil has caught my eye right now. Um, 
beans are on their way, you know. So there will be a lot to eat this 4th of July for sure. But, um, yeah, yeah. A little later than normal. A little later than normal. Maybe maybe I'll celebrate the 4th of July on August 4th. (laughs) I I gauge everything by what comes in my CSA every week. And I got got beans yesterday for the first time. That's great. I got a nice bag full of green beans. Yeah, yeah. My second week for for zucchini. Yeah. I was surprised to see zucchini so early, actually, as well. Mm -hmm. You have connections with local restaurants and chefs that mm-hmm. use local ingredients, Lynn. I'm wondering if you're talking with them, any conversations about how their dishes have been different early this season because of what the farmers are producing or not producing? They've Well, we've, we're seeing a lot of things like kohlrabi, um, mm. which I have discovered that most people have no idea what to do with it. Okay, we have to describe kohlrabi. It looks kohlrabi. like an alien. It's so cool. Yeah, or like a hot air balloon. It's right. got a little when bulb little with bulbs, little sticks. We're making top. gestures right now yeah. that doesn't really work on radio. <laughs> <laughs> you got to look up a Google picture of kohlrabi. Yeah, but um, that kohlrabi works fresh or cooked. Mm-hmm. My sister actually got one in a CSA. She's in a different state and said, what do I do with this? And I said, well, cook it like a turnip. And she says, okay, that's great. I'll do that. I've never cooked a turnip. How do I cook a turnip? <laughs> I said, here's what you do. Slice it raw, paper thin. And a little bit of olive oil, maybe some garlic, salt, fresh herbs. It's delicious. Mm-hmm. Why, why even bother? It's great. Do you eat it yeah. raw? I eat it raw, yeah. yeah it kind of reminds it. me a little bit of jicama if you yeah, get it really yeah, tender real and crisp. young, which is really nice. Yeah. But a friend actually the other night, and I'm glad you brought up kohlrabi, made a fritter, a kohlrabi fritter Ooh. that was amazing. It was kind of like hash browns, really. But oh, I it love was, that. Unlike, you know, the potatoes kind of get soft when you cook them. It was still really crisp and crunchy. It was, it was wonderful. We're talking about a vegetable that maybe folks out there haven't eaten or cooked with, kohlrabi. Mm-hmm. So even though we're pre-recorded today, we're going to post recipes using kohlrabi and other ingredients mm-hmm. that we talk about throughout the hour on our Twitter account, which is at Noon Edition and at Earth Eats. So as you're hearing this, you can go on Twitter and get some ideas. Kohlrabi with hummus, that's how I like it the best. Oh, nice. Are we putting kohlrabi on the grill? Eh, maybe not. I've never tried it, to be honest. I suppose you could. If I was going to eat it cooked, I might want to cook it a little bit first. I'm not Mm -hmm. sure how well, how long I want to keep it on the grill, Mm. and I want to cook through if I'm not going to eat it raw Mm -hmm. and paper thin. Another thing people are using more and more and more I thought 2013 was the year of kale, but apparently it is still a continuing saga. Mm. Um, And not so much cooked anymore and not just kale chips. Kale salads are hot right now. Mm -hmm. Big, hot. Everybody, even people who say, oh, I don't know about greens, and they make that face. Oh, I wouldn't say that ever. I love greens. I've always loved greens. That's actually one of my areas especially that I enjoy growing greens. It's it's so much fun. I love going through there, sowing beds really thickly with them, Mm -hmm. and then just coming through and trimming them back and they they'll keep re-sprouting and you can get multiple harvests that way too Hmm. so you know broadcast them let them come up thick generally and you'll get really nice you can cut them young and get baby greens or you can let them get bigger and have larger greens but there are a few varieties like the red russian kale Mm -hmm, and i have mm -hmm. one that's a i believe it's blue scotch but i've honestly forgotten and lost track of the name over the years but it's a, a it's more of a bluish green and it's the leaves are so tender. I eat it raw well, year round, and um, mm. actually sell to some local restaurants. Yeah. yeah, I want you to give us tips for growing greens mm-hmm. in a second, Salem. But you just sure. said eating it raw. So we have a couple recipes on EarthEats.org where it, the kale is sliced so thinly. Mm. Do a little olive oil and citrus, and mm-hmm. then you massage it, yeah. and you just really roughly work these ingredients in, and it sort of cooks the kale a right. little bit, it making it a little bit tender. Right. Don't need to cook it at all. Mm-hmm. Keep all the nutrients in it. But you don't even have to massage it. Yeah. You can eat it tender, fresh. Mm-hmm. And citrus is great with kale. So yeah. slice some orange, you know, do some supremes of orange, still the olive oil. Oh, it's delicious. Okay, we'll put that recipe for sure on our Twitter account. Grilling kale? I'm always going to come back to the grill. I don't know. Not a fan. Not, no. a, not a fan. It just feels like you. And it's clumsy. Yeah. You're going to lose leaves and... Okay, yeah. so the kale is for our side salad. Is yes. What just, oh, yes. We'll make our little menu, starting with a kale side salad. I like a little miso, too, a miso vinaigrette yes. I make. And that's, but that's now, if you favorite. want to grill leaves, you can grill romaine, but keep it mm. together, you know, and grill it. Mm. And so chard, I would, yeah, I'd, I would probably cut the head in half and grill it down on both sides. 
and grilled romaine is very popular and make a, a Caesar with it once it's grilled or a light salad. Still serve it as a salad. Don't cook it to death. Just char grill it. And can we get romaine fresh from your garden right now, Salem? I did not grow romaine this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was a little I, – I, I grew a leaf romaine, not a heading romaine. Okay. So, um, but, yeah. I'm thinking of In other – future, I hope to. Other things that you can – Put on the grill cabbage. Cut cabbage in half and put that on the grill. Like cabbage maybe? leaves, wrapping something. Yes. And, okay. and cabbage yeah. leaves. It really helps keep was, in the moisture and, and keeps it juicy. Yeah. I was just going to mention cabbage because this is my second week of cabbage in my CSA, mm. and we got the beautiful German style one that looks like a bulb. Yeah, it comes it's to just a point. Gorgeous. Comes to a point. Um, so for me, Fourth of July, if I'm grilling, one thing. But if I'm doing something decadent like fried chicken. Then you might want to make some wonderful slaw with all this fresh oh, cabbage. Yeah. And that, to me, slaw is very, very Fourth of July and all-American. Mm-hmm. And we can do some interesting flavors with our slaw. We have a mm-hmm. Cajun-inspired coleslaw recipe mm-hmm. on Earth Eats that you're going to have to check out. Oh, yeah. That's at Earth Eats on Twitter. So, Salem, it's early July. Mm-hmm. Hearing all these great things you can do with greens, mm-hmm. can people plant greens now and expect to get them come fall? Well, there there are certain varieties that are intended for warm weather crops. So um, the red Russian kale I just mentioned, I've always had great luck through the summer. Um, the most important thing is getting your greens plenty of water, and especially cabbage. I've had a lot of trouble with cabbage in the past because I neglect <laughs> to water them as much as I should. Um, so, but, it, you know, uh, you can also interplant, you know, if you have, um, say, a wall of beans that you're growing, uh, plant a small row of some kind of a, a heat-tolerant um, lettuce. I know Jericho is one variety that comes to mind, or the kale I, I was mentioning, Um you can plant that on the north side so that you'll get more shade on that side. So it won't get mm. direct full sun. And that will really slow it down from bolting um, as well. So there are a lot of things. You can plant under a light shade tree. You can have a little garden bed under that. Um, try to incorporate food anywhere possible. <laughs> mustards are really good, too, in the summer. Oh, yeah. Um, my first round of mustards have already bolted, but I've already had a second round on its way. And arugula. There are varieties of arugula that are heat tolerant too. So this is a lot. This is a lot of information yeah. maybe for <laughs> beginning gardeners. So Salem, later in the show, we're going to talk about maybe how you can kill some of your grass in your yard and start a very small garden. Say if you've never gardened before, you're going to give us some easy tips and tricks sure. for making it happen for the first time. Love to. Lynn, I wonder if we've gotten ahead of ourselves. We've been talking um, a lot about CSAs mm-hmm. without really defining what, what a are. CSA is. Tell us what that is. Uh, it's a, it's a, a, a wonderful concept that's actually a community-supported agriculture. And what we do is we commit in advance of the season, of the growing season, to a farmer, and we pay them all of the money they ask for up front. And in return, they give us vegetables every week or fruit. We've had beautiful strawberries. This year was a banner year for strawberries. Um, and it's wonderful because you get surprises in your bag. And I know people, my, I have to mention my sister again, was very hesitant. This is her first year having a CSA. And she, what if I don't like the vegetables I get? What if I don't know what to do with them? What if I've never eaten this before? And I think, well, isn't that a great opportunity? Everything for me, as far as food is concerned, is an opportunity. If I've never had something before, I would never wrinkle up my nose at it, I'd say, wow, I wonder what that is. I've never tried that. So it's all just moving forward and expanding, never narrowing. So CSAs are a great opportunity for that. And it's a little bit of a a gamble because you're investing in the farmer. It could be a great year like this year is. It could be a terrible year. That's right. And you're sort of going in on it with the farmer. You are. And you're telling that farmer that I believe that what you're doing is valuable and I will commit to buying, I mean, I get all of my vegetables from my farmer. My half share right now is, and I'm a half share, it's huge. 
So every day, my husband and I recommit to eating our vegetables because there's so many of them. <laughs> and you look at your kohlrabi and think, what the heck am I going to do with yeah, this thing? It's my fourth kohlrabi week in a row. Yep. If you're hearing this in CSA's community-supported agriculture shares, sounds interesting to you. It's great. L- look into a fall share. There are plenty of farms out there That's right. that do it through the fall. And the mm-hmm. local growers guild has all the information, and they have the full listing of all the farmers that offer CSAs. And there, are, there are so many are that are that have established themselves over mm-hmm. decades, and they're just doing amazing work. I hope one day to get to their level, because I mean, I'm I'm so impressed at what they're able to oh my to produce, and. I mean, and with how good so many of our local farmers are, it's, it's not really a gamble. It's a sure thing. You're going to mm-hmm. get good food. I mean, you might not get exactly what you want when you want it, but that's always the trick to eating locally and in season anyhow. So it's it's adjusting to what's possible in our region, which I think is that's right. a huge... And learning to um, eat what's in season yeah. and what is actually from here. Think yeah. about all of the money that's being saved on fuel for shipping mm-hmm. and just... I mean, it all trickles down. It's it's the simplest way to really know what you're getting. And you can meet your farmer. And yeah. you can visit with them. And you can go to the That's farm. That's the best part. Go and, go and get a visit. Yeah. yeah you can yeah. work on the farm that I'm a member of. Yeah. Yeah. That's very cool. So, yeah. If this all sounds great, go to localgrowers.org. That's the place where you can connect with farmers, figure out who has a CSA, and, you know, just get to know your food a little bit better. Salem, I want you to talk about your farm. You're saying you're still mm-hmm. new to this whole growing thing. Describe mm-hmm. your setup. Oh, it's yeah. it's crazy. <laughs> it's, you're... it's something different. That's yeah, for sure. Explain it to us. Uh, I don't really know where to begin. Um, I mean, I use an approach um, called permaculture. I was trained in that um, when I was still living in Georgia um, six years ago. Uh, permaculture is basically just an approach of sustainable living, sustainable agriculture. Um, it's mostly geared around perennial food crops because the return on investment is greater over time. Um, it takes less maintenance, less input, less yields, and you you get so much out of it. Hmm. And you get so many different things out of it besides just food. Um, so it's it's a whole way of living, and it's it's you know. But the basic tenets are just to take care of people, take care of the earth, and make sure everybody's getting what they need. Everybody gets a fair share. So that's that's generally it, and it's it just revolves around using renewable resources, sustainable practices, very basic you know ideas. But and you can you can take it to whatever it, it degree you want from there. But it's just a general philosophy that I approach things with. So what I've done is over the past four years, um, I've been it's my building phase. So. My my first five year my first five years of the plan are to get the infrastructure and get the beds. Um, I focus a lot on terraces. One because I have a sloped property and I, I chose it for that reason, um, but also because it is a really excellent way to minimize your need of watering by building raised beds that cut off water flow. So you're preventing erosion. You're holding water in the soil, and that's it's watering your crops for you. So um, it is a lot of work up front. And that's why for the past five years, I've well, this is my fourth year of the five-year plan. So I'm still working hard at it. I've put in a few new ponds this year, put it in an off-grid watering system that's all gravity-fed. Um, and hopefully the next five years, we'll all be downhill and I can just uh, play in the garden more, so to speak. I've still been doing a lot of that as well. But um, been juggling my time between the two lately. You have animals on the farm too, right? Pigs mm-hmm. and chickens. Talk about how they contribute to this permaculture system. Yeah, well, I actually I raised pigs in order to clear a lot of the land and to fertilize it all in one go. Um, so I moved every year. I've had pigs basically, and we've with some friends uh, raised them for our 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 meat um, basically. And uh, in the process, though, they dig up. They're basically living tillers. They till up the earth, fertilize it as they go, and um, leave behind nice, loose, rich soil, which I can build up into raised beds or terraces, depending on the situation. I was actually chasing pigs last night until late in the evening. (laughs) Oh, no. Yeah, I had a a litter of pigs um, two months ago, and they're still small enough to break out from time to time. 
Uh, so <laughs> did you get him back? I got him back. Okay. Yeah, it was uh, it was a uh, quite an effort, but they're wonderful. <laughs> they're they're incredibly smart though. <laughs> the hidden joys of farming, folks. Yes. <laughs> Chasing pigs at midnight. Yes. You have well, goji berries too, right? Okay, not midnight. Maybe yeah. ten. Ten thirty. Okay, yeah. past my bedtime. That's <laughs> yes. all I'm hearing. Mine too. Goji berries. I visited you and you were planting goji Ooh. berries. How's yeah. that going? It's still an experiment, but it's it's gone well. Um, it um, I'm I'm still waiting it out to see. It's actually done better in town. I found because it's it's hotter in town in general. Um, they need a lot of heat during the summer, so I tried to put them in a place where they should get that heat. Um, and they need a long growing season, so that that heat buffer, you know, planting them near a driveway, for example, um, or on the so- south side of a house, um, I've seen better success in town actually than I have at my own farm. But um, they produced uh, their first crop, I guess. They, you know, they take about three years before they start producing, kind of like grapes do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got my first handful last year, and they were. We weren't quite there yet, so I'm hoping for a better crop this year. I'll definitely let you know how it's going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you were out there when we planted them. I day. was. Yeah, yeah, I'm invested in these little guys. Lynn, yeah. perhaps you can help. That's cool. I goji like. berries, they have that title of superfood, which mm-hmm. means superfood. everything and nothing. Have you had goji berries? Yeah, they're very, very high in, in nutrients. They're super packed with antioxidants mm-hmm. and nutrients, but I didn't even know you could grow them here. I'm trying to. But they were kind of tropical, tropical. not tropical, a uh, rainforest. Mm-hmm. What do they taste cool. like? They're tart. Mm-hmm. They usually no. eat them dried. Yeah. The, that was the surprise for me is when I tried them fresh last year, it tasted kind of like a red pepper, which like a, a raw red pepper, which yeah. is very odd to me. I, <laughs> I wasn't expecting that because I just – when you dry things, you concentrate the sugars, and that's right. where it becomes a little more sweet than – just vegetables. The most common way people yeah. find them here are either dried mm-hmm. or dried and enrobed in chocolate, of course. Yeah. yeah another great superfood. Right. You can't really go wrong with chocolate. <laughs> yeah. Well, so we have goji berries on mm-hmm. your farm. We've got a fig tree at the Bloomington Orchard. Mm-hmm. That is just gorgeous. What are some other foods that we can think of that grow in this area that people would think, wow, that surprises me that that grows here? Can you guys think of anything? Um, I have, well... Under protection, I have uh, bay laurel growing in the greenhouse. Oh, Although that's nice. this winter it still died back to the ground, but it, re- it resprouted, which surprised me. Describe mm. what that is for us. Um, bay laurel. Yeah, bay, uh, bay leaves. Yeah. Basically. Oh, bay, had a bay Yeah, tree. bay yeah. leaves. Yeah, yeah. It so. died finally. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, it was a bad year last last winter, but there are a few actually um, farmers. Linda Chapman sells them at the mm-hmm. market as oh, well. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, and restaurants want fresh bay laurel it's it's such a marked difference between uh what you can normally buy um dried in the store right. and a fresh mm-hmm. dried leaf i mean i still dry them to give them life but um just the flavor is intense compared okay. to the, the mm-hmm. what you normally get so that's something to look out for at the bloomington farmer's market yeah if you're walking around perhaps You're listening to Noon Edition here on WFIU Bloomington. I'm Annie Corrigan. Lynn Schwartzberg, Salem Willard are my guests today. This is pre-recorded, unfortunately, so we're not able to take your phone calls. And the live chat is also not happening today. But we do want you to still get involved with us on Twitter. Connect with us at Noon Edition and at Earth Eats. We'll retweet your suggestions and comments based on today's show. And today's show, it's all about... Summer grilling, summer gardening, summer eating, all good things, food in these hot, hot months. Uh, Lynn, I'm wondering, in all of your food writing that you've done, what are some trends that you're seeing this year? You mentioned kale for last year, sticking around this year. (laughs) What other foods are people really jazzed about this year? Well, this is going to sound completely foolish, but it's true. Um, Biscuits. Biscuits are hot. There's a new biscuit restaurant in New York City that's kind of a late night, very hot scene called Empire Biscuit that, you know, has mile long lines, even though everything lately in New York City has mile long lines. But that's a horrible other topic. (laughs) Um, But biscuits are hot. Using them instead of bread to make sandwiches to um, Salem's shaking his head. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. Did biscuits ever go out of fashion? I They've never been really fashionable. They're very old school, but now they're they're cool. Now mm-hmm. they're new school. 
So I've biscuits are hot. Out on the West Coast, too. Oh, I think yeah. I've heard a yeah. lot of different biscuit shops popping up. Yeah. So it's the new okay. donut. You know, I don't know. Yeah. Wow, <laughs> but biscuits right. are hot. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think what Nothing else is Nothing beats like homemade oh, from scratch I take biscuits. great pride yeah. in my biscuits. Not yeah. I'm a northerner, but I do believe that I make the finest biscuit. Well, walk us through your recipe. recipe. Let's hear it. I use a mix of chilled butter and shortening. If I do not know my audience, if I know my audience and I know what I'm serving it with, um, local lard is my favorite mm-hmm. fat. Um, I work with my hands. I was taught by a very dear aunt to always keep one hand clean, one hand dirty. So I don't use a blender or a fork or anything. I use my fingertips. And I pat my dough. I don't roll my dough. I barely handle it. And I usually cut rounds, even though I've been known to do a square every now and then, (laughs) Uh, depending, again, on what I'm going to do with it. I think biscuits are amazing. Bake them very hot, very fast, 500 degrees. You were mentioning strawberries earlier. um, I'm still trying to think about our 4th of July menu that we've created. We have a couple sides. We bake these biscuits, get some of those fresh strawberries. Maybe we're coming to the end of Blueberries? Blueberries. Blueberries. Blueberries for 4th of July. That's usually where I head for 4th of July. I'll do a cobbler, a biscuit top cobbler, or a crisp. I just made a blueberry cobbler. Last week, with the end of my stored frozen blueberries that I picked last year, because I'm, I know that it's not far off that I, I can refill with my new blueberries. Mm-hmm. So I was cavalier and used them all up to make room. So when did you pick those berries? Last summer. And then you've just been saving them for I use them months? all season long, but now that I'm just up to the, the new crop season, I can clean out anything I had left so because I hate to not have a blueberry in the house so I and I make jam and I freeze them on cookie sheets sink you know just loose and then when they're all frozen I bag them so they're not these blocks of stuck together fruit mm. um, and they're much easier to work with you can measure them out for a batch of muffins you don't have to defrost this whole big bag that's a great tip for right now think yeah. about the winter and next spring oh, yeah. start preserving now. I didn't. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that about the sheet, the baking sheet. That's a great idea because oh, I've yeah. got gobs of blackberries. I'm trying to go through my blackberries because hopefully reason. blackberries yeah. will be ready <laughs> by the Fourth of July. They're on their way. Yeah. Um, black raspberries right now too oh, are good. Yes. But I saw that that mass of blackberries mm-hmm. all no, frozen freeze again. Them <laughs> freeze them to loose, not off. touching. Yeah, and just. <laughs> shake it every now and then they freeze but so what i would do if i wanted to do a shortcake which is similar to a biscuit or a scone but not exactly i add a tiny bit of sugar and for shortcake i tend to make a cream what we would call a cream biscuit as opposed to a using fat lard butter whatever your fat of choices um it's slightly sweeter slightly lighter um it just goes so beautifully with fruit sprinkle a little sugar on top when you bake it and then i would do a, a mixed berry Shortcake, great American summer dessert. So right. right now we have black raspberries, blueberries. Are I'm hoping for them this week. So okay, keep an eye out for that. First blueberry harvest this past week. Too. Oh, good, it's great. Good. Yeah. yeah. Okay. They're on their way. So it sounds like we've got the dessert. We've got our salad we've already planned. We're going to get to the the heart of the meal or the meat of the meal, if you will, after our break. Before we go to the break, Lynn, you uh, you said lard. And I wonder if that word out there for some of our listeners is sort of a uh, a word that they think I'm never going to eat that. It's too unhealthy. It's just it's it's not for me. That's actually not true. Um, it's not as unhealthy as what we call oleo or margarine, which is a hydrogenated fat, which is not healthy. You're much at uh, lard is lower in saturated fats. Um, it's a really healthy fat, actually. Mm-hmm. It's I would say it's my fat of choice. And you said you get it locally. Can you, you give can a plug? get local lard from people like, I don't know if Salem sells his, I, but I people who have a lot of pigs, you can get lard from. Yes. Rendered yeah. lard. So something else to watch Talk to someone at the, market, at the market. Talk to one of those meat vendors. And the, the good thing, too, is because there is some people are wary of lard, it's mm-hmm. actually a very inexpensive product, too. Oh, it is. Yeah. Um, you can buy a tub of it, you know, a half-gallon mm-hmm, tub, mm-hmm. I think, for less than $10. Yeah. Wow. I think Shacked Farms might have. Mm-hmm. She thinks mm-hmm. she sells lard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Again, you can go to localgrowers.org if you want info about 
any of the farmers we're talking about, any of the products um, that you want to pick up. And also just keep an eye out at the farmer's market. Start conversations. Farmers love to talk about the stuff that they're selling. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. We're going to take a bit of a break right now. This is Noon Edition on the 4th of July. We're talking about food and grilling and gardening. We have two food experts in with us, Salem Willard, local farmer, Lynn Schwartzberg, food writer for the HT. We are not live today, so we're unable to take your phone calls or your live chats. But we do hope you join us on Twitter at Noon Edition and at Earth Eats. I'm Annie Corrigan. Stay with us. This is Noon Edition on WFIU. Production support comes from Smithville Communications. More information at smithville.net. And IU School of Public Health Bloomington, online at publichealth.indiana.edu. WFIU News covers South Central Indiana and the state each day. You can read news throughout the day as it's posted on our website at wfiunews.org. And you can pick up a digest of all the top stories. It's like a newspaper delivered to your inbox each afternoon. It's a free and easy way to stay on top of not only the headlines, but also the in-depth audio, video, and print news stories you can't get anywhere else. Subscribe right now at WFIUNews.org. You're listening to WFIU Bloomington. It's noon edition. I'm Annie Corrigan. Thanks for joining me today. I'm the host of Earth Eats, which is why I'm here. We're talking about food and gardening (laughs) and grilling. So they brought in the resident food expert. That's me. And I have two food experts with me as well. Salem Willard of Bread and Roses Gardens in Monroe County talking about growing food with us today. Lynn Schwartzberg is a food writer for the Herald Times. Lynn, you also have what I consider to be a dream job, which is that you're a certified, let me see, let me bring this up, certified barbecue judge through the Kansas City Barbecue Society. That's right. <gasps> dream come true for a meat eater. So describe the process. Like, how did you get that certification? Uh, you, you have to take a day-long class, which... Just a day? Just a day. Yeah, it's pretty easy. Um, I've expanded my education through KCBS by also going to a two-day cooking boot camp. because, And a lot of the cooks and judges will go and take this cooking uh, class because it really does help develop your skills, um, some of your tasting skills, you can figure out why things taste the way they do, where this person may have gone off the deep end, for example. Um, and for the cooks, it really gives them a much stronger idea of what what uh, the standards, what the judging standards are, and how to get there. So the standards, we have an mm-hmm. ideal, let's yes. say for ribs. For ribs. Now, if you're from Chicago, you're going to be screaming at your radio. But the standard for ribs, an ideal rib does not, and I'm putting quotations up with my hands, does not fall off the bone. That means they have been parboiled, which is an absolute sin to a true barbecue lover or eater. A well-smoked, cooked, prepared barbecue rib should have a firm bite should come off cleanly. So if you took a bite out of the side of a rib, you could see the shape of your mouth. You're not fighting with it like a dog with a rope bone. It's going to come off cleanly. But if that whole piece of meat falls off that bone, you're not going to score very well. And in the long run, we're not going to go back and want to eat that food. Honestly, trust me on this. That, to me, when I have fall-off-the-bone ribs, I think this is perfect. It's, you know, so I'm I'm having a hard time understanding (laughs) this. First of all, parboiling does what to the meat? It cooks out a lot of the fat. It 
loosens the meat from the bones, and then it's also a real quick cheat. So then all they have to do, a lot of that Chicago style isn't even smoked. They just can, you can throw your grills on the, the ribs on the grill, and you have a very quick slab of ribs. And you have consistency, maybe restaurant to restaurant, if you're right. a chain. That's part of what maybe they're so. Maybe so. It's quite unfortunate. <laughs> okay, so then, <laughs> let's say you know you've got an ideal rib. It's the opposite is actually what you want to do. You want to smoke them first, and there is a point at which the meat is not going to take any more smoking. It has already hit its capacity to absorb the smoke, the flavor. Then you can wrap them in foil and finish them in the oven. That is completely legal, and it will turn out a beautiful product. But if you do the opposite and you cook them first without imparting all that flavor depth into the meat, then you're just going to have a fail. So what I'm hearing from you is that the smoking is going to take a while. Mm-hmm. Like, how long are we talking here? With ribs? Oh, only a couple hours. Even an hour and a half on a smoker. And the beauty of smoking Here's what you do, you know, the next 4th of July is before you go to the parade, (laughs) you put your food in the smoker. You go off to the parade. If you've smoked for a while, you know how to get that temperature to sit. You're not going to be gone for too many hours. And you don't need to watch it. That's the beauty of it all. You can go make your desserts. You can go to the parade. You can go to the concert. And you come back and your food is smiling at you. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> we had a conversation before the show started. Uh, Lynn, Claire McInerney came in, who is from Kansas City, and you guys had a very spirited, yes. very spirited conversation about yes. Kansas City and barbecue. we both completely agree on where to eat. <laughs> that you, and you just absolutely go bonkers for Kansas City barbecue. Yes. Why? Kansas City barbecue is, it's fair. I mean, to me, it's old school. And it's very middle of the road, and some people are critical of it for that because in the south, there's regions of the Carolinas that have this heavy mustard influence. Texas is so well-known, especially now, my gosh, for their brisket. And Kansas City, people go, oh, that's Kansas City. It's this sweet tomato-y sauce. But if you're a real barbecue fan, it's about how the meat is prepared before the sauce. You don't even have you don't judge it with sauce. If somebody you can, if somebody puts a sauce on their meat, it can sometimes really affect how well they score because the sauce is awful. And the the finished meat was really beautifully done. The rub was great, the smoking was great, the if they did injection or any sort of a flavoring addition and then they put this sauce on it and you're like, oh. So I'm not so uptight about the Kansas City sauce. I think there's some Kansas City sauces that are out of this world fantastic. I tend not to lean toward the sweet ones. But Kansas City barbecue is ribs and it's pork. That's really, for me, Kansas City barbecue. Um, Shoulder, you know, whole hog, what they would call, and then Ribs and the famous thing from Kansas City is burnt ends, and that's where they're from. And burnt ends are created from the uh, top of a top of a brisket. It gets trimmed off. It's complicated to describe on the radio with my hands. <laughs> Lots of hand gestures. Mm-hmm. Long story short, these are these gorgeous little nubs of barbecue that I have to say I have seen barbecue places remove all of this beautifulness from their meat before they sell it to you. And I just get sad because in Kansas City, you can actually buy burnt ends by the pound, and they are the best driving in the car food there ever was because they're not messy and they're chewy and if, you know, they're just flavor bombs. Mm. So that's a Kansas City thing. Let's um, say we're going on a road trip to Kansas City. Mm-hmm. Where am I going to eat? Give me a couple places. Oh, gosh. First stop is Arthur Bryant. Because it's old, because it's amazing. You get a burnt end sandwich there. Their sauce is like no other sauce I've ever had. It's not Kansas City style. It's weird and strange. Um, and then you get in line at Oklahoma Joe's. It you, is get you get in line. How long are we waiting in this? You're line? waiting. Oklahoma Joe's started as a competition team, and it's called Oklahoma Joe's because that's the brand of smoker they use. They are not from Oklahoma. They're actually across the state line, so they're in Kansas City, Kansas. 
Um, and the line gets a little crazy. You can wait a long time at Oklahoma Joe's. We have learned to call in our order and pick it up while we were eating somewhere else. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. (laughs) So you can go to the carryout line, which still will have a wait because the place is good. It is good. And it is the newest place in Kansas City. It's not old Kansas City. It's not like Ollie Gates or Arthur Bryan's or somebody mentioned Jack Stack. Don't go there. Um, But Oklahoma Joe's has blown them all out of the water. It's good. Good. Kansas City's a long drive or it's a flight. Stop in St. Louis and have some barbecue. Okay, stop in St. Louis. <laughs> and some Ted Drew's frozen custard. What more, what would you want in the summer? But... Lynn, you and I are going on a road trip. <laughs> this sounds amazing. I'm taking notes here. This is yeah, really. Can we all go? Very hungry. <laughs> are, there, are there local spots that you can recommend? Sure. There's a lot of barbecue going on in Bloomington and it's really growing. Um, and some folks are getting serious about what they're doing. They're not, they're not using commercial oven smokers. They're really smoking with real wood, and they're pulling the pork right. They're not mashing it into what I call like barbecue paste, which is, again, you don't want the meat to be so soft that you can make a wad of it in your mouth. That's, but that's very common with barbecue. It, People think you cook it to death. That's a good thing. It's really not a good thing. Um, so on Thursdays, most people know that the short stop has an outdoor rain or shine barbecue. Looks like today, well, looks like they'll, they're having a good season, let's just say. They not had a lot some of rain. really, they had a lot of rain last year. Yeah. Um, and then also, uh, Garrick Devane is doing Garrick's barbecue. His location is not as pinned down, but you can follow him on Facebook. Um, Carson's out by Ellisville, who's a, he's got a competition team now, so he's really raised his level. Okay, so we have some options right We've got here. options. Yeah. Okay. Again, connect with us on Twitter. We're going to post some Facebook feeds, some Twitter handles where you can get in touch with local barbecue folks. But, you know, we're all about doing it yourself here. Always. You know, let's figure out a way to cook it yourself, get the food from a farmer that you know, and make it happen in your own kitchen. It's going to taste better. It's going to be healthier. Yep. So let's go back, Salem. We promised we'd talk a little bit about beginning gardeners. So let's sure. go back to that. Yeah, the, absolutely. The ultimate do-it-yourself, growing your own food. Yes. Let's say you've got a plot of grass in your backyard that you're sick of mowing. <laughs> yes. Give us a real brief, real simple description of how you can kill the grass and start growing food there. Well, the easiest way is to build up. Um, mm. You want to, depending on what kind of soil you have, I mean, uh, typically soil, front yard, backyard soil is not very good because they're, because of past construction going on and whatnot. So I would recommend scraping off the topsoil, putting it aside. With the grass? With the grass for now. Then um, it's it's a method called double digging, actually. So after you scrape off the topsoil, you dig down a shovel's depth, and you really loosen up that soil. You can throw back that grass from the beginning, but you flip it over um, with the grass down. Um, and I would uh, – sorry um, – throw that down underneath the soil that you dig up. So you're burying that grass so it won't come back as easily. Okay. Um, after that, you definitely want to try and mix in some compost, and you can um, make your own. Um, Bloomington Speedway sells compost um, that uh, that we get for clients often. Um, and uh, I recommend building up eight inches as a minimum. Um, Twelve inches is always better, and you can do it with the box method, or I like to use just logs that you find. Some kind of edging is really important because that prevents the grass from just kind of creeping right back in to your bed. But I always recommend making permanent raised beds just because they're easier to maintain in the long run. You build up so you create a deeper soil and a more loose soil, which Mm -hmm. is very important if you want to try to grow any kind of root vegetables. You have to have loose, rich soil. And I recommend not getting rid of things, you know, like if you can scrape off that grass and bury it down deep where it will decompose on its own, you're going to be feeding microbes in the soil and you're going to be allowing decomposition to take place, which will create over time better, looser, deeper soil. Hmm. Um, 
Absolutely. That's that's the simplest way. So find a few tree branches that have fallen nearby. You can look around the neighborhood, um, or you can get cedar. You know, um, I would recommend cedar um, if you're going to build a raised bed, like a, a box style. So let's um, say we do that this weekend. It's the holiday weekend. Sure. Do a DIY project this weekend. Mm-hmm. What food, what seeds are we going to be planting right early now? July? Um, it's You want to direct seed this time of year um, unless you get transplants from someone at the market. But there's still plenty of time to direct mm. seed beans, even zucchini and squash. Really? Yeah. I mean, um, they really honestly do better, it seems, too, when you direct seed rather than buying a start, especially beans. I'd say it's a little too late to try and do your winter squash or corn or mm-hmm. long season crops, but um, go by the farmer's market, get a, a tomato start or two, some pepper starts, because, um, you know, as I mentioned, I got a late start on those, and, and it's it's not going to cause you any trouble. You'll just have to wait a little longer before you start getting a crop, but you'll still get food long into September and October with those once wow. they're established. Um yeah, I mean, and and if you don't want to plant any summer greens, you can, um, or summer vegetables, you can go ahead and build your bed, get it ready, uh, maybe even throw down some cardboard just to keep weeds from going in there. It's called lasagna gardening by some people, but you <laughs> layers. layer up layers, yeah, yeah, yeah so yeah. you get your compost, but keep it covered with some cardboard and throw some mulch on top, um, wood chips or straw. Straw is preferred for uh, garden veggies. Um, and then when you're ready to plant, just pull it back off. That way you just make sure nothing else grows in there. Wow. You don't want any weeds, you know, coming in. Grass is obviously really bad for the garden. It will take the nutrients away from your plants. And um, grass puts out chemicals that uh, inhibit other things from growing. Um, hmm. It's their their um, adaptive strategy to reproducing and oh. taking over vast swaths of our, of our yards. Yes. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, and then uh, you can pull that cardboard off and plant some fall veggies, which, you know, if you really want to get a good crop of things like cabbage or greens or um, even beets in the in the mm. fall, beet greens at least for sure, um, Swiss chard, things like that, um, you really want to start them end of August, early September so that you get a good crop before we get our Hopefully not too cold winter. Oh, yeah. no, not again. <laughs> We've come full circle, guys, talking about Swiss chard. We started off talking about kale. Yeah. This yeah. is good. We're coming coming toward the end of the show. This is a pre-recorded show, which is why we haven't been taking your phone calls or your live chats. But we do hope you participate on Twitter, at Noon Edition and at Earth Eats. Salem Willard of Bread and Roses Gardens. I wonder if you want to plug your gardening education classes that you do? Yes. Uh, as the, At the moment, we don't have anything set up. For this summer, um, we are going to be focusing on infrastructure, as I mentioned, <laughs> building. Um, we are having an end-of-the-year plant sale. Um, so if anybody wants to come out and see the farm, the nursery, we have we grow plants as well, edible plants. That's our focus, to get people growing um, their own food at home. Um, so if anybody wants to come out and see all of the craziness going on there with the p- pigs and chickens and terraces and um, and whatnot. Um, that's happening on Saturday from 10 to 3. Um, you can find that information on our website as well, um, breadandrosesnursery.com, um, which is also the home of the gardens. So, um, so the farm and the nursery are in the same place. Um, so you can come out, see what it looks like, um, and we'd be happy to impart any wisdom we can you know to anyone and we're always at, we're at the farmer's market yeah we people won't be should there. come say yeah. hi to you yeah. yeah we won't be there this Saturday because we'll be doing our, our plant so we're trying to get rid of um, some some inventory before getting into the, the heat of the summer trying <laughs> to encourage people to, to plant before while we still have these rains which has been wonderful oh yeah mm-hmm. um, so but if you don't uh, can't make it uh, look for us at the farmer's market um, we'll have produce and edible plants available and um we're always happy to answer questions. So All right. So Salem Willard and your business partner, Jonas Carpenter. Jonas Carpenter. You'll probably see him at the market. All right. I, I tend to Very stay back. Very friendly guy. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Just say hi to him. Yeah. In the last couple minutes, Lynn, yes. Lynn Schwartzberg is a, a food writer for the Herald Times and a barbecue judge. We've talked about our menu for our mm-hmm. 4th of July mm-hmm. celebration. What other little 
tips and tricks people need to know for grilling, cooking outside. I, I saw an article that talked about how nasty your grill can be and how mm. you need to be really diligent about cleaning your grill. What other little things should people be thinking about? Um, when you're grilling outside, this is my method. I, I really do plan and prep ahead. When people come over and you have a cookout, I don't like to call it a barbecue because we know that's something else. <laughs> when we have a cookout, if I have to spend all my time making burgers and getting all the vegetables ready to grill and getting dessert together, I'm not really being very social. And nobody or not everybody wants to stand outside with this big grill that's spewing smoke into the hot air because it's hot outside this time of year. So I do a lot of prep um, so that when I have company, I can get that stuff on the grill and off the grill while they're having a beverage, a nibble, maybe the bruschetta that I heard tell of <laughs> earlier, um, something that will keep their mouths busy and tempted while I'm out, while I'm out staffing my grill. All right, guys, we got a lot of tips that we talked about today. This has been so fun. Lynn Schwartzberg, Salem Willard, and you've been listening to Noon Edition here on WFIU Bloomington. I'm Annie Corrigan. I've been sitting in for Mary Catherine Carmichael and Bob Salzberg. What a pleasure to talk about cooking and gardening and grilling with you guys. Thanks for coming in. It's been Thank great. You. Thanks for having us. Yeah. And again, a reminder, we're on Twitter at Noon Edition and at Earth Eats, which is where you can go to get recipes that we've been talking about. Remember that kohlrabi conversation we had from forever ago? We can get recipes <laughs> about kohlrabi. You can oh, yeah. get a conversation about barbecue with Lynn Schwartzberg. We'll post that on Twitter as well. Earth Eats org is the place to go to get recipes and get ideas for your 4th of July cookout. Thanks for tuning in to Noon Edition. This is WFIU Bloomington. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. You can find podcasts of this and other WFIU programs at WFIU.org. Production support comes from Smithville Communications, serving southern Indiana with fiber gigabit internet and digital IPTV. More information at smithville.net. And from IU School of Public Health Bloomington, addressing public health needs by preventing disease, promoting health, and improving quality of life across the state and around the world through research, teaching, and community engagement. Offering undergraduate and advanced degrees. publichealth.indiana.edu.